welcome to Taking the Party Out of Politics. This is a podcast about understanding how politics is supposed to work, why it isn't working as well as it could be working, and what we might be able to do about it. Because by understanding a little bit more clearly how things are supposed to work and why they're a bit messed up, we might be able to get things to work a bit better, perhaps even a lot better. This is a little journey we're taking together about the systems and functioning of politics. Systems which we should all understand, because those systems affect all of our lives, all of the time. And this podcast is about how we might be able to make those systems work a bit better. In season one, we took a look at how the government is supposed to work from the perspective of us, the voters. This is season two, in which we're trying to look at how government is supposed to work from the perspective of someone trying to get elected, and then trying to do a good job. Looking ahead in Season 3, we'll be looking at what we might be able to do to make things work a bit better. Importantly, when we get to Season 3, we will be sharing our ideas, but also sharing some of the best of your ideas about how to make things work a bit better. Today, we're going to look at the wicked issues. These are the really important things which need to be dealt with, and which get more difficult to deal with if they don't get dealt with, but which our politicians believe we don't really want them to deal with. Or, specifically, that if they do deal with the wicked issues, then they won't get re-elected. So far already, the whole process just isn't working properly for our elected representatives. In Season 1, we looked at how hard it is for voters to make the electoral system work properly so that the people who we elect are likely to be good representatives representing us and representing our needs and our preferences. So far in season two, we've looked at how hard it is for a new MP to get elected, how hard it is for a new MP to work out how to be effective once they are elected, and then how the systems in Parliament mean that much of their work is then controlled by party whips or bullied into line by ministers, or simply bypassed by having secondary legislation slipped into bills at the last minute. It's difficult to get elected, and then once you are elected, it's difficult to achieve much. You're overworked and you're expected to just go with the flow, all whilst managing an onslaught of media attention. On top of all of that, our elected representatives now have to deal with the wicked issues. Or in fact, they don't deal with the wicked issues. So this is a kind of an odd thing, the wicked issues. Depending on what you already think about MPs and their foibles and predilections, the name the wicked issues, well, it might give you the wrong impression. The wicked issues aren't wicked in themselves, they're only wicked because they're difficult to deal with. We have MPs who are unable to scrutinise our government properly, and a system in which the political parties dominate both the legislative and the executive in an entirely unhelpful way, and we have the media scrutinising every step, every word, every action. This makes it possible for our ministers to rush stuff through without adequate consultation and without adequate consensus building leading to blunders, which cost us all. What we don't have is a system which encourages our elected representatives to take on the wicked issues. Now, we've all come across a wicked problem. A wicked problem is one which is difficult to solve. It's possible to solve it, but solving it for the long term might involve some difficult choices in the short term. A little bit of a challenge, perhaps a little bit of sacrifice in the short term for longer term gain. Perhaps a wicked problem in business, wondering about whether there are ways in which our business can be more socially responsible or more environmentally responsible, 
or both, and still remain competitive. Perhaps a wicked problem in our personal lives, wondering about the right balance of something, whether that's calories or socialising. In politics, a wicked problem is referred to as a wicked issue. Now, the wicked issues are the things which are really important, but which don't get dealt with. Climate change, care for the elderly, saving for our retirement, supporting the more vulnerable members of our society, which might cost a little bit extra now, before they get into difficulties and need even more support, which would cost a lot more later. Some of us might be getting a bit better at saving for our retirement, and some of us not so much. But there are plenty of other things which we still aren't dealing with properly. The wicked issues don't get dealt with because the short-term challenges are things which our elected representatives believe will mean that they won't get re-elected. If you're trying to diet and you're thinking about that pizza in the fridge, then the person who tells you that you can't have that pizza, well, they're not going to be your favourite person in the world at that particular moment. Perhaps later, when the diet has worked, but not at the time. Now, our elected representatives are afraid that we won't re-elect the people who tell us that we can't have the pizza, or that we have to pay more taxes if we want better health care, or that we have to make changes in the way we live if we want to stop climate change getting any worse. These are all wicked issues. Well, not the pizza. That's down to you and the good friend who's trying to help you. But you see where we're going with this. If you have the pizza today, the diet is only going to get more difficult tomorrow. As a society, sometimes even as a global society, we aren't dealing with the wicked issues. And so they're just getting more and more challenging to deal with. But our elected representatives don't have the courage to deal with the wicked issues. Or perhaps it would be more honest to say, perhaps we don't give them the courage. The wicked issues are the problems which we all know are there but which involve taking on too many difficult challenges and vested interests to encourage anyone to want to address them. For example, whilst ministers in successive governments might want Britain to be able to punch above its weight in world affairs, very often those same ministers are not prepared to invest sufficiently in, for example, defence to make this really possible, or even just to address the inefficiencies and misjudgments involved in military procurement, meaning that the money which is available isn't always producing the best results for our armed forces. The results are that our armed forces are often overstretched and asked to do things for which they don't have the equipment or the manpower or the resources, and so on. We occasionally even end up with the rather absurd, albeit temporary or perhaps transitional, absurd positions such as having aircraft carriers without any aircraft which can fly from them. It may well be that we will have all the aircraft available for our aircraft carrier by 2023, but why were they not available when the aircraft carrier was commissioned in 2017? Remember, commissioned in this context doesn't mean ordered. The ship was actually launched in 2014, and the commissioning in 2017 was when it was more or less ready for the Royal Navy to take it over and start practising with it. Or why wasn't the commissioning of the ship and the building and therefore investment delayed until the right aircraft were all going to be available? There's a difference of six years or so between the date of the ship being commissioned and when all the planes will be available for it which is more than 10% of the expected lifespan of the ship itself. It's not quite as simple as all that, of course. There are complicated lead times and things such as jobs to consider. But a bit of linked-up thinking and the courage to act upon that thinking might mean we could get better results for the money we do have available and thereby better support our armed forces. The same inability to act can be seen on things like health or addressing the needs of an ageing population. Younger people 
might not feel particularly interested in saving more or in paying taxes to sustain older people, particularly when it seems that those older people are sitting in expensive houses which the younger people can't afford. Complicated, but doing nothing isn't the answer. It costs a lot of money to keep someone in need of care and support in a hospital bed. Very often such a person can reach a stage where they need some care and support, but not at the level which is provided by a hospital. So it would make sense to have lots of available spaces in care homes, providing the level of care and support needed, but not costing as much as a hospital bed. That would actually save money in the long run. But do we see lots of investment in care homes? Well, what do you think? And there are many other wicked issues, including things like climate change, food, water and energy security, illegal drugs and many aspects of increasingly expensive public services, even down to things like organising the sewage and the sewers properly so that we don't get flooding or polluted rivers or beaches. These are all complicated, difficult issues with no easy answers. But because our parliamentary system is so combative and so competitive, any elected representative who stands up to say that we should deal with this or that wicked issue well, they realise they're going to be an easy target for the opposition. Now, why would they be a target? Well, remember, our parliamentary system is combative. It's all about point scoring. Too often it's not about you doing something better than the opposition. It's about making sure you highlight anything which the opposition might do which might be less than perfect, lowering the barrier rather than raising it. It's really easy to suggest that our courageous principled representative is actually being irresponsible, planning to spend too much money. Why create a system which raises costs for business? That makes good, easy media headlines, even if the reason for the extra costs was actually to increase the level of environmental responsibility, making things cleaner and better for the future. Our plucky, well-intentioned representative will face all sorts of lobbying from well-organised, vested interests. Much of the media might be positive, but an awful lot of it will be marshalled by those well-organised, vested interests and be strongly critical. Or it might just be rabble-rousing by unscrupulous opposition MPs who want to score an easy publicity point. And they score it with a journalist who stops at the first half of the story, the raised cost for businesses, without checking on the full story, the trying to make things more environmentally responsible. It doesn't matter whether it's true or not, because bad news is easier to remember. Or if you like, mud sticks. It might not be true that our thoughtful, responsible representative was being irresponsible with money. It might actually be saving money to invest in us all having better health now, so that we don't have to rely on more expensive medical care later. But sometimes we as voters only remember the bad stuff, even if the bad stuff wasn't true. This all then just means that our well-intentioned representatives are less likely to get re-elected, and their party is less likely to get into power. So you can see, it's a bit of a vicious spiral. If you stick your neck out to make a good point for the long term, then you don't get the chance to make those long-term changes because you don't get re-elected because of the bad publicity and so on, which is raked up by the opposition parties who are opposing just for the sake of it. Once a party is in power, even with a massive majority, that party is unlikely to want to take on too many of the wicked issues because, well, that might mean losing power. And let's be honest, some of the blame sits firmly with us, the voters. Far too often, we don't pay enough attention. There's so much news and so many details and so much spin on the way different information is presented as being a positive story or a negative story. Well, so much of this that we tend to stop paying as much attention as we should. The public, that's us, 
We want to believe that things are going to get better, not that there are really big problems or really big bad issues which need to be faced. Or at least, when it comes to an election, that's what politicians think that we want. Our politicians don't believe that we really want to face the challenges of dealing with the wicked issues. And so our politicians act, or sadly they don't act, accordingly. Our system breeds strong, focused power, in which ministers can force through some personal projects. Sadly, our system doesn't breed the broad consensus building, strength and resolve, which is needed to take on the wicked issues. A consensus which would mean that opposition for the sake of opposition, point scoring for the sake of point scoring, well all that will be put to one side, in the interests of doing the really difficult, long-term things which we actually need to be done. Are there any situations where this changes? Well, I'm really glad you asked that. In fact, there are. When public opinion changes, the wicked issues become less, well, less wicked. If, by taking on a wicked issue, an MP or a government is not going to get shot down in flames because they're following the national mood or opinion, then it's far less risky to take on vested interests. If politicians believe that the public is ready to pay for something, well, then an issue might be addressed. For example, in 1997, the Labour government was elected, at least partly, on the basis of intentions and promises which included raising taxes in order to invest more in the NHS. People love the NHS, and people, voters, were prepared to pay more for it. And more was indeed invested in the NHS. Now, some might argue that not all was invested as well as it might have been, but that's a different point. But this voting to pay higher taxes, well, that doesn't happen often. Far too often, the wicked issues are simply put on a pile of too difficult or too risky, or rather put at the bottom of the pile in the hope that it will go away if we ignore it, or be somebody else's problem further down the line. Not my problem, not right now. The result may be that a particular politician or government successfully avoids the challenge in the short term, but in the long term, the problems normally get worse. In the case of action on climate change, for example, in recent years we've all become aware that more action is actually necessary and that things are only going to get worse the longer we hesitate or fail to make decisive changes in the way we live and work. Many individuals try to do the right thing by using more fuel-efficient cars, or by recycling more, or by eating less meat. But although these actions are important, as they all add up collectively, they're also mere drops in the ocean, unless our country takes large-scale national action collectively, and other countries follow our lead. And unless that happens, it's clear that the world climate is going to change even more dramatically, and not for the better. Although sea levels are rising, and the weather is becoming more violent and unpredictable, and plastic is being found in our fish, although many, many animal and insect species are becoming extinct in what people are calling the sixth mass extinction in the history of our planet, although great areas of the UK will suffer from water shortages and our soil is becoming so poor that we won't be able to grow enough food to feed everyone, and most serious of all, although we are rapidly approaching the so-called tipping points, where regardless of what we do, irreversible changes will take place in the seas and on the land, leading to a hothouse earth and perhaps the end of civilization as we know it, when in spite of all of this, our politicians don't yet seem ready to take sufficient action to make a difference. And we've just seen this in action, or rather in inaction, in the watered-down agreements which were reached in Glasgow at COP26. 
And perhaps that's because our politicians don't yet believe that the public is prepared to take on board the impact which that action would have. Perhaps they're right. Perhaps we, the public, the voters, need to make it clear that we are ready for our government to take a lead on things and that we're ready for the fact that this will mean that our lives will be different. But at the moment, the way in which we make it clear to our government what we want, well, at the moment, the system is that we have that one vote every five years to choose a competent local representative who is also a member of a political party which we hope will form a reasonably competent national government and to choose a single political party manifesto with perhaps a hundred different things in it. Just one vote. For all three things, together. So, how do we make it clear to our government that we want things to be dealt with? Perhaps not through the current system. At least, not in the way we use the system currently. Unless, of course, you have some different ideas, some suggestions as to how things could be different. Perhaps about how we could use those systems differently, or about how we could tweak them so they worked better in all of our interests. Next time, we're going to look in detail at the separation of powers and the conflicting pressures of being an MP. Our elected representatives may already be torn between what they know to be the right thing and what they feel they might have to do to get re-elected, or perhaps what is the right thing for their constituency and what is the right thing for the country as a whole, or perhaps for the planet as a whole. But there's more pressure still on our MPs, pressure which is baked into the parliamentary system. So more on that next time. If you have any ideas, we would love to hear from you. In Season 3 of Taking the Party Out of Politics, we will be exploring various ideas on how we could make things better. And we would love to hear from you. Just email us with your ideas on info at talktogether.info. If your ideas are good, or if they help us to understand things more clearly, then we'll include them in Season 3. We might even contact you to interview you about your suggestion. We look forward to hearing your thoughts. Next time, we're going to look a bit more at what we call the separation of powers and the conflicting pressures which that separation of powers places on being an MP. That's going back a bit to the distinction between government and parliament. Government is supposed to be there, leading the country, coming up with the new directions in which we need to go, and the adjustments to things like our laws, so that they make sense in an ever-changing modern world. Parliament, made up of all our elected MPs in the House of Commons, plus the members of the House of Lords, or Parliament, is supposed to be checking up on government to make sure that it isn't going too crazy, too fast, too far. But a majority of our elected MPs are also members of the party, or parties, which get to form the government. They're the ones who get together, and by agreeing who will be their leader, they decide on who is going to be the Prime Minister, and therefore decide who's going to be in the government. A majority of our elected MPs are the source of the government's power. So just how much real checking up on the government is the Parliament going to do? How much serious holding to account are the majority of our MPs actually going to want to do? Well, next time, we're going to have a look at all of that. For now, thank you for listening. If you'd like to have a look at the transcripts of the podcast, including links to all of our sources and references, please go to www.talktogether.info and follow the links to the podcast from there. And of course, if you'd like to contact us, not least if you'd like to share any ideas which you have about how we could make things better, or if there are any areas of how politics is supposed to work, but why it isn't working, then please email us anytime on info at talktogether.info. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll take the time to tell your friends, and perhaps you could also take a moment to give us a rating wherever you found us. That not only helps other people find us, 
It just also really makes us feel appreciated. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God.